0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you've tuned in to listen. Today, we're going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Now, listen. Down here in the borderland in El Paso, Texas, the past two weeks, we have had some crazy weather changes. We've gone from the 90s down to 31 days that start off freezing or just below freezing and then jump up into the 60s. So my sinuses are an absolute mess. I'm hoping to make it through this podcast without sniffling, sneezing, coughing. You know, sounds like I'm about to do a commercial, right? (laughs) I'm hoping to make it through the podcast without going through all kinds of stuff. But if If need be, and I start doing some sniffling, I apologize ahead of time. I try my best to come into the podcast without doing that, but boy, the weather has just been messing with my head, literally. So, let's get started. Today, we're going to talk about rebirth through the gospel. There are people that will use this phrase. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've said it. They'll say, I am a born-again Christian. I understand the sentiment, but listen, you're not a Christian if you've not been born again. And the idea that you're a born-again Christian somewhat infers, implies, that there's some other types of Christians, but there's not. And then there are people that talk about being born again as though it is some mystical, supernatural, unbelievable thing that has happened through some means or agency of the Holy Spirit And I understand, again, where they get that from. Uh, A little bit of a misunderstanding, certainly in what Jesus said to Nicodemus. We're actually going to start there here in just a moment. But what you're going to see in our study today is this subject matter is not as complicated as some of the phrases and teachings that you may have heard make it. You're going to see the Word of God really simplifies this. So the complication comes from people studying, reading, or hearing from Jesus talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in John chapter 3. If we look at the first seven verses of John 3, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Here it is. That's the text that a lot of people get confusion from, and and I understand why. Um, It's not an indictment uh, against somebody. If you have limited knowledge of the entirety of the Scriptures, these aren't very clear passages. You know, Jesus is talking to a man that ought to understand things in a little bit of a deeper level. And we're reading from that conversation where things ought to have been able to be stated in a little bit of a a deeper level. We're going to see the text that Peter pens today is going to clarify, especially when you consider it in context. Uh, Now, we know that as we look at life, there is physical birth and there is physical death. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 2 says, there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant, time to pluck up that which is planted. So there is the physical that is there. We're going to be talking about the spiritual birth. And of course, that is possible because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John, the first chapter we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to read to you the first 17 verses of John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by Him, so the Word is Him, right? And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light, that the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, notice, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So here we get this idea of the difference between physical birth and then spiritual birth, right? So continuing on, just to get down through verse 17, give us a little bit more of the context the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, this is he of whom I spake, that he who cometh after me is preferred before me, for he is before me. And of his fullness have we all received and grace for grace. For law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So here we have the clarity of, of the light, the word being Christ, him coming to the world, bring the world. The point from which our lesson applies is in that John 1 13, where which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God in light of the word being Jesus. Okay? So that's what we're really honing in on today in our study. Now, I want you to think about why there is a necessity of a spiritual rebirth now we know as we break down different ideas different thoughts in the scriptures we know that man has a spirit that is in him because your spirit your your being your inner being if you didn't have that you'd be dead james 2:26 the body without the spirit is dead so faith without works is dead also We know that you have a spirit in you. If you you did not have your spirit, you would not be alive. But when we also study through the scriptures, we see that there is the idea not only of physical death, but also of being spiritually dead. The book of Ephesians is written to a primarily Gentile congregation in Ephesus. That congregation started in Acts 19, 1-7. While well, the book of Ephesians is written to those Christians, the second chapter, the first five verses, I want you to, to hear and think about this. Let this sink into your, in, into your ears and your heart. He says, and you hath he quickened, that word quickened means to be made alive, who were dead and trespasses in sin. So right away, you get a very clear explanation. Sin causes you to be spiritually dead. The text goes on. Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened us together with Christ by grace you're saved. Of course, there's a lot in these first five verses. For our study and to stay on point, I want you to notice dead in trespasses and sins, verse 1, and then again, dead in sins, verse 5. Now, the church in Colossae, again, both these letters being written to Christians, not telling anything to non-Christians, but looking in the past, the church in Colossae was told something similar in Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. So here we get the same points made there in Ephesians two one and Ephesians 2.5. We also get some further clarification, being made alive together with Christ, with him, Christ in context. How? By having your sins forgiven. So in sin, you're dead. After you receive the forgiveness of sins, you're made alive. That is huge because it gives us all the clarifications that we need. We, we know that you're converted. You know, when you go and you read conversion examples, a very clear uh, conversion example, and it's a, it's a situation that's not going to be duplicated again. Uh, Acts chapter 2, there were Jews that came to Jerusalem the 50th day after Passover, also known as Pentecost. And they were from all over, uh, from all the nations around. And the apostles preached the first gospel sermon there to those Jewish uh, people that were, you know, they already believed in God. They were already there in acts of obedience to God. And there were there as well, those who were in Jerusalem that had contributed to The death of our Lord. And the Peter and the apostles preached the gospel to them. And as they were being told what they needed to do, because they wanted to know what they needed to do to be saved. And this is not an all-inclusive text. You know, sometimes people read one verse out of the Bible and they say, Oh, this is what you have to do uh, to be saved. Listen, if one verse in the Bible told you what you needed to do to be saved, then there'd be one verse in the Bible, right? So you have to understand that. Uh, but when they asked Peter and the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do in Acts 2.37? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The word remission means forgiveness. For the forgiveness of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promises you to your children, all those that are far off, as many as our Lord God shall call. Now notice verse 40. With many other words that you testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we don't have this whole sermon recorded. Sometimes people say, if you want to know what you need to do to be saved, go read Acts 2, and that'll tell you everything you need to do to be saved. No, we don't have the complete account, the record. That's why we need to take the whole of the scriptures into consideration. Well, in verse 41, they that gladly received his word were baptized, same day added unto them about 3,000 souls. So to receive the forgiveness of sins, at least in part, if you have questions, please, you know, at the end, I'll give you my phone number. We can study this through. But at least in part, it's repent and be baptized to receive the forgiveness of your sins. It's all part of the process of being born again. And we get different elements of that as we study through the scriptures and put the whole together. So if if you're not a Christian and you're dead in sins, you need to hear and obey the gospel call which includes repentance and baptism for the forgiveness of sins or for the remission of sins so if i'm going to be born again i'm going to have to understand that that happens after after i am forgiven of my trespasses now we also need to make this clarification being spiritually dead does not just apply to people who are not, not Christians or have never been Christians. Being spiritually dead can apply to saints as well. Uh, for one example, talking about widows in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 6, uh, and, and why the difference between a widow indeed, who the church can help, the context of 1 Timothy 5, 3 through 16, is talking about who widows indeed are, 60 years old, etc. Et, et That's the greater context talking about a widow, it says, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. So being physically alive, even though you're in Christ, if you apostatize, then you're spiritually dead. So just to kind of give you some other scriptures that give us some different insights uh, before we jump into our text, Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Here's somebody who wants to follow Jesus. So Jesus said in him follow me and let the dead bury their dead. There you get both. Let the spiritually dead bury the physical physically dead. See the those elements are things that people of the world care about where a corpse is buried. If you're a Christian, you don't put any significance on somebody's dead exterior you recognize that that person is no longer alive and that that's just ultimately dirt that you're spending 15000 or whatever dollars to bury in a hole in the ground. That's insignificant. That doesn't matter. So Jesus shows that in that example, showing the difference between the spirit and the flesh. In Luke 15, there's a series of parables. The lost sheep, coin, and son you might have heard of this parable as the prodigal, son. Uh, and and these parables are taught because in Luke 15, 2, the scribes and Pharisees murmured saying, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. So Jesus is trying to teach about repentance and people coming back to God. I want to read part of the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son to you to bring out and highlight a point. In Luke 15, 11 through 24, Jesus teaches this parable, this story for the purpose of teaching he said, A certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divideth unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and sent him to the fields to feed swine. Would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead. Did you hear that? Luke 15, 24. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. So here we get to be dead spiritually is to be lost. So any lost person. Here you have somebody that left the father's house. So the imagery of apostasy, of falling away, but then came back, came and was restored. My son was dead and is alive again. So when you're reborn, you've gone from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that applies to apostate Christians. In the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is writing to people who have removed themselves from the gospel of Christ and soon, not long, after they were converted at that. In fact, when you read the very first chapter In verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you in the grace of Christ unto another gospel. If you continue reading, what they had followed was a perversion of the gospel. They went back, if you read chapter 5 and 6, and started again under things that were written in the law of Moses to Jews and teaching of circumcision, etc. Well, within the context of the book of Galatians, he says, My little children, of whom I travail and birth again, until Christ be formed in you. They were already in Christ. We know that. Galatians 3 and verse 27, talking about them in the past, as far as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So in Galatians four nineteen, Paul says, I'm coming back to work again. Why? You need to be reborn, like the prodigal son in Luke 15 and verse 24. And another context, in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, says, the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which should live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So pointing out why Jesus came in this world and had to die, because people were spiritually dead. So all of that relates to rebirth, relates to being born again, whether you're a sinner who has never been converted to Christ, or you're a saint who has fallen back into the world, you have to be reborn. Now, the process is different. You don't have to uh, be immersed again. Christians have to confess and repent of their sins. Yes, 1 John 1 verse 9 uh, about confession, uh, we see that process. We see Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8 Verses 12 through 24, who soon after his conversion, we don't get the timeline, but the apostles came down to lay hands on them to give them the Holy Ghost because that's how the Holy Ghost was given, and then they'd have spiritual gifts afterwards. Simon the sorcerer thought that he could purchase the ability to lay on hands, and Peter commanded him to repent and pray, God, perhaps the thought of his heart may be forgiven thee. So confession and repentance there for Christians little bit of a different thing but Christ needs to be you need to be brought back into Christ. you need to come home. You're dead. So we come to Peter's words and I want you to back up and and I want you to think about this in context. I really hope if you're listening to this podcast that you've listened to them in order because we're going through first Peter verse by verse and of course things add up as you're going through and and the knowledge we've gained in times past built unto that. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to begin in verse 18, things we've already covered, so I won't explain them again. But I want you to see some connections. In verse 18, for as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart firmly. So here we've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and their roles and being brought into uh, salvation. The spirit aspect that we talked about last week and applies to being born of the spirit. You've purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit. Verse 23 through 25 gives us that explanation, which also helps us with John three, one through seven, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. Which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of the man as the flower of grass, the grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So we're being saying, being born of the Spirit, being born uh, of the water, the water aspect is that of baptism. The spirit aspect of that is the Spirit's work through the revelation of the Word of God, because we're born of the incorruptible Word of God. Look how that explains all of that. I love it because if you're confused on something like John 3, 1 through 7, as you study through the scriptures, you get great clarification, and it's no longer confusing. Now, in the first century, the Spirit worked directly in the revelation of the Word of God. For example, He guided the apostles into all truth, John 16, 13. They didn't have to sit back and ponder the things that they were going to say, and they didn't have to study. You know, those of us that teach or preach the Word of God today, I hope, I hope you know how much time you have to study and think about what you're going to say and how you're going to say it, especially considering whatever audience you may be teaching. They didn't. The apostles in Luke 12, 12, the Holy Ghost shall teach you in that same hour what you ought to say. They had the direct working of the Spirit. Today we have the indirect, the through the Word. Because the Spirit revealed it then. We read now what they said and wrote then. Now, to breaking down our text a little bit here. Those addressed in the letter that we are studying have been begotten again. Same, same Greek, though it's translated uh, begotten again, as born again. And 1 Peter 1.3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So here we have Peter, including himself, And with those that he's writing this epistle to, that they have been begotten again, or they have been born again. Begotten by what? By the word of God. In 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul writes, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. No confusion here. I love it. It's awesome. One of, if not the earliest, letter written in the first century, and we know it's early because it's written during the time the saints are scattered, which is acts eight through acts eleven. James writes, and James 1, 18 through twenty seven. and And I want you to follow through the thinking of of these words because again, the Word of God's own best commentary. I don't know why anybody goes out and spends their money on commentaries of men. Most of them are just full of false doctrine anyway. But the Word of God explains itself. And as you study and you get a working knowledge of His Word, things just start to click and make sense. James 1, beginning at verse 18, of His own will begot us with the Word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So this tells us this is earlier converts. Again, fits the history of the book of Acts. He says, "'Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls.' But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goes away, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth there, and him being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and writhleth not his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is in vain." Pure religion, undefiled before God and the Fathers, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep Himself unspotted from the world. I love this text because it shows us that we're begotten through the word of truth, verse 18. Shows us that the implanted word, verse 21, the engrafted word, is able to save your souls. And it goes on to explain your part, my part that we have to be a doers of the word. Just hearing the word of God doesn't do anything. You can't be that person that just listens. You have to be a doer to be blessed in your deeds. And that is manifested in your actions. In fact, if you read James 1, 18 through 27, and then James 2, 14 through 26, right one after another because chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 kind of breaks from that context a little bit and talks about a problem that was going on among these Christians where they were showing respect of persons. But if you take that, that point and you put James 1, 18 through uh, 27 with James 2, 14 through 26, it's wonderful. So listen listen how it goes on in James two fourteen. It says, What did the prophet, my brethren? The old man say, Have faith and have not works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to him, Depart in peace, be warm and filled. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body. What doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God. Thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou, O vain man, that wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith without his works, that faith wrought with his works, I'm sorry. I butchered James 1.22. Let me back it up. I'm, I'm starting to quote ahead a little bit and combine words. So seest thou how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect and the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God And it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she received the messengers, sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you're begotten, you're born again through the word of God, that's God's part, and then you are a doer of the work, that's your part. You have to live according to the message of God, the gospel, the word, because if you don't, then you have a dead faith. Plain and simple. The seed, being the word of God, is identified in our context. That phrasing is used, though not tying it directly to the word of God. Listen to this, 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God, now how are we born of God? Not of corruptible seed, but by the word, right? Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. What's that seed? The word of God. And he cannot sin because he's born of God. So, oh, isn't that just wonderful? Isn't that just. It's great. It's great. It gives us clarity, it gives us explanation. It shows me that I'm going to be born again by the word of God and I'm going to live faithfully by that same word. It's going to help me. In Psalm 119, 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. When Jesus was being tempted of the devil, and the devil said, Command this stone that it be made of bread. Jesus said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. In Luke 11, 27 and 28, it came to pass as Jesus spoke, a certain woman of the company lifted up her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. Jesus said, Yea, rather, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. What a package there. How the scriptures come together to give us that great understanding. I'm born again by the word of God. I remain faithful by the word of God. In fact, when you think about certain instructions, let's say, for example, in Colossians 1.23, Says, so if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope, notice, of the gospel, which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is in heaven, whereof I'm Paul and made a minister. What gives me birth is the word of God. And again, not alone, you know, without Jesus. Uh, coming and, and, and giving us the opportunity to have our sins forgiven without the Father sending, without the Spirit revealing the Word. All those things come together here in 1 Peter 1, 18-25. It's why context is important. But for our particular uh, study here today, that Word that I am born of keeps me in the faith. It puts me in the faith and keeps me in the faith. So now, being born again, not a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible What's that mean, incorruptible? Does that mean that it can't be altered in any way? Well, we we ought to know better than that because there's false teachers out there and not just false teachers, but even people that don't know what they're doing with the word of God and they twist the scriptures unto their own destruction. 2 Peter 3 in verse 16 where uh, Peter says, that he's speaking about Paul and his apostles, speaking of those things in which some things are hard to be understood, which they are to unlearned and unstable. Rest means rest or twist as do other scriptures unto their own destruction. So we see those things uh, in the scriptures. And that's not what this incorruptible word means. The incorruptible here, Strong's number 862, means undecaying, in essence or continuance meaning not corruptible, immortal. The word of God will never die is the point that it is and will continue to go on. The psalmist said in Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, when we think about physical seeds, yeah, they bring forth birth, but then what? Let's take, for example, the seed of man. I have three children. I could say I've, I've given birth. and Now, I've not done the labor side. My wife did that, thankfully. <laughs> but my seed is involved, but I'm going to die. My seed brings forth these three children that are now all adults. And if the Lord does not come first, same qualifier with my death, they're going to die because the human seed is not immortal. In 2 Samuel 14, 14, for we must needs die and are as water spilt on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Neither does God respect any person, yet doth he devise means that his banished be not expelled from him. Job 14 and verse 1, man that is born of a woman is a few days, and full of trouble. Hebrews 9.27, is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So man has a corruptible seed, meaning that it's not immortal. The seed of God, his word on the other hand, you know, what we're studying comes from Isaiah 40. So it's going to sound familiar. Isaiah 40, six through 8 that Peter is really just giving the born-again side in addition to, but for the most point, the point is made here. Isaiah forty six 8 "...the voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and the godliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass." The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Whatever it is that is uh, brought about by seed on earth is temporary. It is going to die. The word of God is not going to die. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 37 through 24, 34, was talking about the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And he transitions from that to talk about the end of the world based upon a question the disciples ask. In that transition, Matthew 24, 35, he says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. God's word is incorruptible in that it continues forever and ever and ever. But things of the flesh, things of physical seed, and the glory that comes along with that that is physical, it's like the grass. Psalm 103.15 says, As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. Very, very temporary. Whatever you do is very temporary. You know, it's its interesting. Um, the M. Barlinas in my family years ago, we, we met up. Uh, they're in Pennsylvania, and we drove up, and we met them in Ohio, and we stayed near Canton, Ohio, and there is the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, and we kind of visited that together just as a little vacation moment, and I'm telling you what, there's wording that happens that just, just, uh, just makes me want to throw up, where the wording is, these men are forever enshrined. No, they're not. They're, they're, the idols that have been made there are not forever enshrined. Uh, whatever it is of this world, it is not going to last. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, did you hear that? For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, that just that's the Pro Football Hall of Fame there, pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. That which is eternal is that which is born of the seed, the word of God. All those other things, whatever materials they use to make them, are going to get burned up, Second Peter 3.10, with the elements of this world. Even the rich and powerful... Psalm 62, 9, surely men of low degree are vanity and men of high degree are a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. So there are people that think, hey, I'm going to do this, this, and this. No, you're going to die. People that think they're going to work out and eat healthy and do all these things. And listen, I'm not at all opposed to eating healthy or, or working out. I work out, haven't necessarily been eating healthy recently, but for the most part, I tend to eat uh, healthy. But all of that is very, very temporary. Our Lord says, bodily exercise profiteth little, 1 Timothy 4 8. And then he makes the point. But godliness is profitable unto all things, having the promise of life that now is and of that which is to come. So by all means, avoid diabetes and all the other things that are in this world that come through unhealthy eating. Not because it's going to make you live forever, but but it's going to certainly make life on earth more difficult. My oldest son is a type 1 diabetic and him having to do shots three or four times a day when he lived with us was terrible to have to go through for him and, and terrible to have to watch him go through. I don't wish those kind of things on anybody. That comes sometimes genetically. Him, there's nothing that he could do. Uh, his body did not produce insulin, uh, nothing that he could do it, do about it. But, but for some people, there's things that you could do about it. You could stop eating that food that's causing those types of things and, and maybe get a little bit active. Uh, but even if you are working out three times a day, and you're eating clean, you're still going to have health problems, and ultimately, if Jesus doesn't come back, you're going to die. Even if you've got millions of dollars, and you have the best of doctors, and, and nutritionists and all these other things, or even if you're a millionaire, and you have no stress, although we know that better than that, right? James 1, 10, and 11 says, but the rich, and that he has made low... Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grass of the fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. You can't combat the fact that man's seed is not immortal. You'll not physically live forever. And this is why we don't put our confidence in man. Psalm 146, 3 and 4, put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goeth forth, he returneth to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. So, you know, I'm a gospel preacher, and I hope that uh, my brethren uh, uh, value my role of teaching in their life, but they ought not trust in me. Because even if, and I certainly plan on remaining faithful to the Lord and his word all the days of my physical life, the day will come when I will no longer be in the flesh. That's why we have to study on our own. That's why I teach everybody that I'm studying with, know the word of God. You're going to stand in the judgment day without anybody next to you. We all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 5, verse 10, to answer for what you've done. You're not going to be able to call upon elders and preachers, or anybody else, to be your support staff in the day of judgment. Your hope is in that which is incorruptible. Your trust is in that which is incorruptible. That is the declared word of God, the gospel. And whether we use Old Testament or New Testament passages, there's consistency here. And Psalm 19:7 7-11 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. "...converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warmed, and in the keeping of them there is great reward." warned. I think I said warmed. Well, hey, the Word of God will warm you up, too, give you that nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. <laughs> I didn't mean to mispronounce that, but, uh, you know, that plays into what we're going to talk about next week as well, which we'll get to at the end of this podcast. You ought to desire the Word of God because of its value, more valuable than anything material on earth or any person. And Colossians, Chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, the saints in Colossae are told, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, where have you heard before? In the word of the truth of the gospel, which is coming to you, as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as doth also in you, since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. The gospel is what we believe in, trust in hope in and that is going to endure whenever elders and preachers or faithful brethren older brothers and sisters in christ leave this world physically the word of god still is available to you and that word is tried it's tested psalm eighteen thirty. as for god his way is perfect the word of the lord is tried he's a buckler to all them that trust in him so you can look back and you can see when god has said it and declared in his word, it's come true. His word doesn't fail. Isaiah 46 and verse 10, the prophet says, declaring the end from the beginning, the, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Now look, I could tell my brethren here in El Paso, I'm going to stay here the rest of the days of my life. And I can mean that. and I, And they can trust in that. I'm not a liar. I'm an honest person. But there are things that can happen to me that I can't control. God makes declarations and promises knowing the future. So in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, he's able to say, As the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven returneth not hither, the watereth the earth, and maketh bring forth and bu- make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the earth, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. That's why you can trust in the word of God. It, even if men aren't liars, we can only make promises so far. I can tell somebody, hey, I can get a phone call, hey, brother, I need some help. Okay, I'll be there in 15 minutes. You know what can happen? A lot, a lot that would keep me from being there in 15 minutes. I mean, for one, Just getting out of my neighborhood can take a lot longer than that at some times of the day with the insane amount of traffic that is in the area of El Paso that I live in. Sometimes just getting out of the neighborhood can take me 30, 40 minutes. It's insane. Well, that's beyond my control, but I'm a man. I can tell you what I intend. I can mean it and be honest in that, but time and chance happen to us all, Ecclesiastes 9.11, and we can't control that. The gospel, with God's foresight, the promises that He makes, they're without fail, and that's why we trust in the soul-saving power of His Word, and that is one of the greatest things that we get from the Word of God. There's many benefits to the Word of God. One of the greatest, Romans 1.16-17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, it is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that it is written, the just shall live by faith. How wonderful folks love the Word of God. And not just the fact that it is Jesus that's leaping from the pages, but in all that it's able to do from you and that for you and that it is not going to perish. So next week, this pulls us forward, into what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3, where Peter writes, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speaking, as newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if so you have tasted, the Lord is gracious. So that's going to be our plan. Again, you know, we can plan with the best of intentions for things to happen, and many things can occur. My computer could break down and and podcast not be up for however long it take me to uh, take care of all those things. But our plan is to jump into First Peter 2, 1 through 3 next week. And it goes in line with the podcast that we had uh, on Tuesday past and the one we're going to have, if all goes according to plan, this Tuesday. I'm ask this question, you know, if you come back on Tuesday to the podcast, are, are you trying to get to heaven or are you just running from hell? I hope you'll listen to these things. All these lessons are working together right now. And part of that is by design, not by chance. Because folks, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I'm seeing it and it is troubling to me. If you're listening to this podcast, you're one of few people that are truly interested in Bible study. And it is heartbreaking. I have seen a great change from 2017 to now and how interested people are in the gospel and the words which our Lord Jesus Christ spoke are just constantly ringing forth in my ears. In Luke 18 and verse 8, where he ends a a parable, uh, and at the end of the verse, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on earth? Wow! In the days of my Christian walk, which began back in, in 1991, I believe, if I remember correctly, 90 or 91 Wait, 19, yeah, 1990. Um, I think I obeyed the gospel in 1990. It's hard for me to remember dates sometimes. And all the days that I've been walking with my Lord, I have not seen such a time as now where people seem to utterly not care about their souls. Don't let that be you. Let these lessons ring in your ears. We're talking about good stuff here. Peter wrote it to saints then, and it certainly applies now. I hope you come back and you'll continue to follow this podcast, and and even more importantly, I hope that you get in touch with me. Let me help you. Let me help you. It's what I live for. It's literally my life. I'd love for you to call me. My number is 915-525-5794, or go to wordsoftruth.net. You can contact me there through email, brian at wordsoftruth.net, is my email. I'd love to help you. I thank you for listening. I hope you come back on Tuesday. Be a nice, challenging podcast, similar to the last Tuesday, just different subject. Thanks so much. Until then, I say goodbye.